G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Footyology Round 17 Review. Another big weekend of footy with some big ramifications for the top of the ladder, the bottom of the eight. Uh, the finals battle really heating up. Some good games this week uh, in a range of conditions across the nation, as I say. Very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. Oh, what a weekend of weather. Well used was the roof at... Marvel Stadium, I can tell you that much. Uh, Essendon North Melbourne, a cracking game, was played while the rest of the Mel- rest of Melbourne was covered in sleet and hail. And then we, of course, had the big game this afternoon between Melbourne and the Bulldogs, also played under the lid. So those fans fortunate enough to enjoy football in those conditions will have no problems with playing under the roof. And uh, it's freezing cold outside, Finey. What do you feel like uh, when it's freezing cold? A bit of comfort food? I feel like I feel like an icicle, but I would like. What I'd like is a trip down to Albert Park, 144 Bridport Street, and I would absolutely demolish an Andrew's Hamburgers burger right now. Those nice crispy buns, the beautiful pure beef patty. I'll take an egg tonight. Get that yolk running down the side. All no, of it. no egg for me. I'm, all all, I'm allergic to them. Really? Yep. Oh, now I know your kryptonite. Good. <laughs> oh, no, an Andrew's Hamburgers burger. 80 years they've been going. And where are they? 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. I'll tell you what I'd also like, because it's pretty damn cold inside our place. I'd like a new house. <laughs> a burger in a new house. That would be quite the afternoon, wouldn't it? Well, it's sort of, you know, at the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of cost, I guess. It is, but uh, if you want a new house or a house built by the best, it'd be Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co., located in that same region as the Andrews Hamburgers Outlet, but they would come to you, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, and a renovation. I like those coping plan kitchens. You know why? Why? Because generally they have... Everything at one, you know, all the mod cons. Whereas our, I live in a house that's over a hundred years old. Let's just say, it's not brilliantly, it's not brilliantly set up for the modern family. Do you, do you watch Modern Family? Oh yes, sir. Good oh, program. So oh. Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Bilko, the best of the best, along with Andrew's Hamburgers, great sponsors of this podcast. All right. Uh, without any further ado, a big round. So let's review it. On Footyology, wrap around. All right, let's talk about the first game of Round 17 over in Perth and what a cracker it was. West Coast taking on Collingwood. A fantastic win in the finish to the Pies by a solitary point. 11 goals, 12-78. Defeating West Coast, 12-5-77. Four goals to Brody Majacek. What a tower he was up forward. Three goals to Mason Cox. Two to Phillips and two to Dugowie. For the Eagles, four goals to Jared Cameron, making a huge imprint on league footy in just a handful of games. Jack Darling, three. Two goals to Elliot Yo. 12-goal first quarter, finally. It was a 
bald herring opening to this Friday night game. Interestingly, uh, both sides only managed another, uh, well, what they compiled in the remaining three quarters was less than the first quarter, but uh, it ebbed and flowed. And uh, West Coast, for the majority of it, I think most people thought they were going to get up and have a win, but the Pies engineered one of the great wins and one of the great wins on the road, and boy, do they make a habit of this. That is uh, nine wins out of their last 12 road trips. What would you make of it? Well, first of all, you just wonder what happens when they get in at quarter time and whether the coaches focus on the negatives defensively about that fantastic first quarter because it seems as though the players go out there they play an actual brand of football and then get reeled in by both sets of coaches who demand a more observant defensive game and more adherence to pre-planned defensive structures. What a pity that they can't go out and play that football for the entire four quarters. So, incredibly, West Coast, who kicked seven goals in the first quarter, kicked one six, uh, six goals in the first quarter, pardon me, kicked one behind in the last 45 minutes of play. It was extraordinary. Their inability to score from halfway through the third quarter was almost, it, it was mind-numbing. When you consider, as you pointed out, young Cameron up forward, you've got the unpredictability but obvious firepower of young Ryan, Kennedy and Darling. And this is a team that was really brought to a dead halt by Collingwood. Collingwood's excellent use of the ball by foot pin pass, pinpoint passing. Grundy getting the best of Nat Nui in the ruck. I mean, for Nat Nui, his third game back, this one really tested him, didn't it? And mm. his need to come off the ground in key moments because obviously they have a predetermined period on which he's playing. In the last quarter, He just had to be out there because Grundy was starting to imprint on the game. And when the ball went forward, Majacek, who's a great hard-working forward, became more than that. And Cox found his form during this game as well. So a dysfunctional forward line became functional. Well, fantastic game from Majacek. 19 disposals, 10 marks, 4 goals, kicked the goal in the last quarter, which sort of revived their hopes. I mean, West Coast, uh, what, 16 points up at three-quarter time. You still would have had your, your money on them and thought, you know, good effort by the Pies, but the Eagles just a little bit too good. But Were they trying to ride that 16-point lead all the way to the final yeah, siren? Yeah, I thought they went a bit overly defensive. Um, but in a way, I sort of can't blame them. They have had the wood over Collingwood, you know, sort of doing a similar thing, getting a break on them and then holding fast. Well, they didn't do that in the grand final. They had to come from behind. But the other wins they have. A um, couple of pretty inspired coaching moves too. Chris Main on to Shannon Hearn really sort of curtailed his drive off half back. So that was a good one for um, for Buckley. I also thought Collingwood, particularly in that last quarter, they, they played a bit quicker than they have been. And uh, there was a quote from Bucks afterwards, you know, if you're trying something and it, it keeps not working, why continue to try it? So you know, once um, that that centre square setup really got on top to uh, uh, Grundy in the ruck, obviously, but uh, great last quarters from Trelaw, side bottom, and Pendlebury. And I, I thought I thought Pendlebury was key because he was the one player in the manic last five to ten minutes when he got the ball, and there's no doubt Collingwood were trying to get the ball in his hand. He had the calmness and the ability to 
pinpoint, not just a target, but some. he was able to get the ball into the centre corridor to advantage better than any other player. Yeah, and some big news on Pendlebury too. I'm not sure if you're up on this, but uh, he's got a broken finger and has had surgery on it. Will miss several weeks. I mean, it's, it's, play, it's plagued him, hasn't he? That, mm. that finger, he did it two years ago. That finger has been... The bane of his existence. Yeah, so uh, big loss there for the Pies. Side bottom was an interesting one. I remember thinking early on, gee, I haven't noticed side bottom much when I had a look. He'd had a lot more disposals than I thought, but then he really did come into it with uh, a, a huge influence in that second half. Um, as you said, held the Eagles scoreless for 45 minutes. Yeah, you know, look, it was a great game of footy. It's a pity in a way. The I think the final three quarters couldn't have been played the way the first. Well, that's what I was saying. Was. Yeah, but my fear is that the coaches, when they get hold of them after quarter time, oh, they hate a quarter like that. I'm saying they don't focus on the positives of scoring, but their job is to reinforce all of the and sort of defensive pre-planning that goes into the game. Mm. So the players are reminded of, come on, we need to be guarding space, we need to protect the ball when we've got the ball, etc, etc. In other words, no positive reinforcement for taking the game on and scoring, but a lot of reminders of how to stop the other team scoring. So That's uh, not the only game that happened in this weekend either. Yeah. No, the Pies uh, had lost three out of five. Do we think that's the win that sort of gets everything back on track for them? It certainly looked that way, didn't it? Yeah. And we shouldn't forget, both teams had significant injuries early on in the game. Crips for the West Coast Eagles. Yep. In He sort of took the game on and then he's looked like he's up a thigh, you know, into the groin a doctor, gave, yep. gave way on him. Doctor injury. And, and Darcy, Darcy Moore's, Moore's just as problematic as Pendlebury's finger is Darcy Moore's hamstring. Also, uh, should mention Dugowie too. I thought uh, that big goal he kicked in the last quarter, um, he really found something and he's been copping a bit of heat of late too. So the big guns certainly fired for the Pies when they needed to. Fantastic win for them and you'd think that'll be a real momentum builder for them. All right, that was Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. To the SCG and uh, very fine conditions up in Sydney for the Sydney Carlton game. Very blustery conditions though and that had a very obvious impact on goal kicking. Inaccurate scores recorded by both sides in another terrific result for the Blues and you tipped it finey. Credit to you. Oh, don't worry. My credit's run out. Later this day on Saturday. All right, we'll get to that. <laughs> Nine goals, 15, 69, Carlton. Seven-point victors over the Swans, 8-14, 62. Uh, Levi Casbolt, the only multiple goal kicker for the game, he kicked two singles, the rest, all singles for the Swans. Um, some fantastic performances. Uh, Patrick Cripps, you come to expect it from him, but he led from the front, certainly. Ed Kernow. Really significant for the Blues. He was uh, switched on to Luke Parker. He'd run a muck in the first quarter with uh, 12 disposals. And Cripps really put the shutters up on um, Parker. So great tagging effort from him. I think he picked up 12 uh, disposals of his own in the second quarter. That's when the Blues really sort of got on top. 14 to 6 clearances in the second term. Cruiser doing a number on Alir Alir in the ruck, as you'd probably expect. Um, I thought Nick Newman was pretty impressive for the Blues best down on, back. Best on ground. Yeah, and that would have uh, that would have um, been a, a bit of a annoyance for the Swans, given that's where he came from. Sydney got back into it in the third quarter, I thought. Probably started to dominate in terms of general play, but 
Couldn't really do much with it. Only two goals to one for that third quarter. And then Carlton found another gear in the last quarter and a couple of early goals to Levi Casbolt and Jack Silvani gave him a, a winning edge, which um, the Swans weren't really able to uh, recapture. Walsh, very good again, as he's, uh, as he's been doing week in, week out. George Hewitt, um, I thought, close to the Swans' best, along with Parker, whose early start was terrific. Mills, pretty good. But, um, yeah, look, they're... Um, they're not a great side, and uh, they only lost by 10 points last week too, but didn't play great footy in that game either. And not salad days for the Blues, but, uh, geez, they're going well under replacement coach David Teague, who Chris Judd seems to think isn't good enough to coach him, but uh, I reckon Blues fans right now would be quite happy with the prospect of David Teague going on with the job. What a good win by Carlton, unlike their <clears throat> pardon me, previous four games under David Teague, where they found themselves five plus goals down in all four games. Two of them, they were able to come back and win. Two of them, they came back and almost won. This time, they did really well to lead for just about the entire game, albeit never by more than 20 points. Look, Carlton showed in this game that they have the ability to control the midfield. And that's really how this game was won, by Cruiser having an obvious advantage over the ruckless Sydney Swans, and then by players, and not just Cripps, but by the entire midfield being able to profit from that. Walsh, probably except for his final kick, was close to best on ground for mine. He he took a number of long gambolling runs down the wings at Sydney. Surprisingly, for a, a ground that's known to be small, there is a lot of bounce and run out of that ground because mm. it's wide uh, sometimes you find yourself in a paddock of space out on those wings and he found that space and used it really well the forward line setups for both teams I thought Harry Mackay was influential early uh, aerially they would have loved to have Charlie Kernow because I reckon that just might have been the bridge too far Casbolt kicked two missed three or four a couple didn't make the distance. A couple were offline. All in all, they had the better targets up front. And Sydney almost, it's almost like a two-horse race. They were sitting on their back trying to come out at the right time, grab the win and walk away sort of successful thieves. But to Carlton's credit, as you pointed out, Rowan, during that third quarter, it looked like Sydney, who drew level, maybe even got a point in front, might now be able at that point to impose themselves on the game. But by three-quarter time, it was again Carlton who were in the ascendancy. And it played out a little bit the same in the last quarter. So the right team won. Nick Newman really was the difference. He was a, he, he just read the ball beautifully off the boot. Maybe his familiarity with the SCG helped. But he took a number of relieving, or as we now call them, intercept marks. They were more... They weren't inter- to me, an intercept mark is when a player is kicking to another player and somebody jumps in between and marks it. These were more red over the back. But deserved winners, they're playing exactly the sort of football that I think Brendan Bolton wished they were playing, but they weren't for reasons of, I don't know, under Brendan Bolton there, there seemed to be a, a nervousness. So with the Silvani. Am I in the team? Am I not in the team? He's the best example of it, I think. Yeah, um, yeah it's like Did, it, it, it's too simplistic to say the shackles have been taken off. I think it's, to me, it sort of smacks of 
different approach to man management. And, you know, my understanding is that the players felt um, they could just sort of never relax with Brendan Bolton, that they were, you know, they were always under scrutiny. Everything was very intense. Maybe Teague, and I, look, I, I look, don't know Teague, but may, maybe Teague just enables them to feel a bit more comfortable with the prospect of making a mistake. Look, they're very similar types, Teague and Bolton, except Brendan didn't play AFL football. Both had a long experience in the VFL and would have done a lot of man management with the bottom half of the list, both of them. But Brendan Bolton, school teacher, was sort of known as a bit of a, um, not disciplinarian, but a, a stickler, let's just say. Mm. And whether it's that Teague is different or not different, when you have a new coach, it does clear the decks a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. You're almost shaking the extra sketch. And Carlton weren't that far off in the first half of the season. No, they, I don't think so. So The bottom line here is they've had five games under Teague for three wins and, and two, two losses by wins. a kick. Yeah. Yeah. So they're that close to five straight wins. Yeah. At what point... It's just intriguing to me that everyone's sort of piling on saying North Melbourne have got to appoint Reece Shaw. Why isn't everyone saying Carlton have got to appoint David Teague? I think after this weekend, there'll be a balancing of those two judgments. Well, in... gee, their football director's going to be pretty embarrassed. Um, well, there's been there's no question that for a professional broadcaster, um, Chris Judd made a heck of a mistake. And they've Carlton have sort of been um, patching, shoring up, shoring up that mess thereafter. But let's just say this. I would think that both Shaw and Teague are neither over the line, but certainly have not been discounted from the position that they were chosen to fill. In fact, I would say both of them, when they were appointed, would have been unlikely to be the permanent coach. Yeah. Both of them now, I think, are even money chances. Yeah, no, I agree with that. All right, that's enough on that game. Uh, Let's head from Sydney down to Launceston. Well, this sort of played out pretty much as you'd expect. A uh, 29-point win. Hang on, my maths is terrible. A 31-point win to Hawthorne. 12 goals, 12, 84, defeating Fremantle, 8, 5, 53. That is uh, Fremantle's 12th game in Launceston. They've still only won one. Which game was that very quickly? Uh, against St Kilda. Correct. Siren Gate. Correct. 2006. Uh, Hawthorne got the jump on the Dockers and it proved to be a pretty crucial jump. 3-1 to 3 behinds in the first quarter. And uh, Frio had a decent surge at it in the second quarter. But in the end, 12-12-84, defeating Frio, 8-5-53. Three goals to Lewis. Good performance from him up forward. He's impressive, I reckon. Should have been four. He missed an absolute sitter. Three to Luke Bruce, two to Hanrahan, two to Wingard. And for the Dockers... Looked like a bit of a one-man band at uh, at most stages in this game. Five, three singles, the rest. Uh, for the Hawks, James Warple, very uh, in, impressive out of the midfield. Lewis, like I said, three goals to him. O'Meara, solid. Henderson, solid. Bruce, three goals to him as well. And for Fremantle, Nat Fife, uh, uh, light years to the next best Dockers player. He was best on ground, Net 5. By the way, Roman, it's very unfair to ask a quiz question without notice and then immediately follow up with, quick, quick. That puts, that's very 
daunting. Even well, I just expect you to know it. Such is your treasure trove of uh, of knowledge. Well, I did know it, but imagine you should actually start a quiz program what? tonight on quick, quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, people. Keep... What is the capital of Uruguay? Quick, quick, hurry up! People, <laughs> people keep having a go at me for hurrying you up. Well, you know, I just. Uh, 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 Quick podcast is a good podcast, and it has to tend to drag on a bit. Do you know which TV character was famous for also trying to hurry up the program? Um, no. The steam tractor on Mr. Squiggle. Hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> Mr. Squiggle. Yeah, okay. well, I haven't this, watched that for a long time. Nat Fife was, in fact, there were two individual performances by players this weekend that may well by the end of the season, be looked at as the two best individual game performances for the year. We'll get to the other one later. But Nat Fife in a losing team was unbelievable. Give you an idea of his influence, that Fremantle actually came at Hawthorne at one point in the third quarter, and it was Nat Fife. It was just him. Well, he kicked three goals in the second turn. Oh, sorry, in the second quarter yeah. they came at them. It was just him. That's all it was. Yeah. As you say, light years to the next best Fremantle docker, whereas Hawthorne, James Warple, look, I'm not sold on James Warple some of the time because I believe that his ball usage is a little bit outside top class. I've got to say, he was excellent. In those- yeah, but, but hang on. If you're having a look at the list of you know, younger, emerging Hawthorne players, he's right at yeah, the top I just of fear it. that when Tom Mitchell comes back next season mm. and gets his huge swagger possessions out of the midfield, then Warple has to... They're going to come... A lot of them are going to come out of Warple's season stats. Yeah, possibly. Incidentally, just on five, he ended up with 24 disposals, three goals, took six marks, eight tackles too, so he was very strong defensively oh, as yeah. well. yeah. Wait till, wait, wait till we go through the numbers of the second bloke. They but, are unbelievable. But even when Freo were sort of making a tilt at it in the second quarter, did you? I was watching it thinking, I know what's going to happen here. Hawthorne will just steady and end up winning comfortably. Not that I have a great deal of confidence in Hawthorne, but the fact that actually Bruce was looking dangerous and they had a marking target up front in Lewis gave them a point of difference because we know... Gee, Cam McCarthy's a waste of space. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you see his game? Yeah. He makes an enormous effort to be the, you know, handball over the top in the goal square. That's not what you they paid good money for and brought you back to WA for. They need somebody to contest for marks. I mean, Walters wasn't bad, mm. mainly up the ground, but you've got Walters. You've really got one of the best forward crumbing forwards, the most dangerous small forwards in the in the game. And how often was the ball kicked into the Fremantle forward line and there was nobody there competing for a mark? I just can't understand exactly what Cam McCarthy's... Uh, what he bases his game on. He, he's obsessed with getting out free without competing for air balls. This season has regressed so quickly for the Dockers. That was their fourth loss in a row. They're down to 13th now yep. from being in the eight oh, yeah, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And fair enough to. Two games outside the eight. 
Now, Hawthorne are now above them on the ladder, and no one's talking about Hawthorne being a finals chance. So, are we scratching Fremantle as a finals? Oh, chance? Oh yeah, they're scratched. Yeah, okay. No, I'm I'm happy to scratch. And I admit that that scratching came on the back of two weeks of injuries that they could ill afford. Yeah, Look, yeah, H- but you've got to be more resilient than that. And I'll get of to course, that. You, of course you do. But Hogan actually was starting to live up to the billing. He really was competing. Mm. So a huge loss. And Alex Pierce at the other end, I guarantee you, if he was playing. Lewis wouldn't have kicked three goals. Speaking of injuries, um, should mention a couple of Hawks. Uh, Grant Birchall coming back for his first game in 740 days. Acquitted himself pretty well, I thought. 21 disposals. Yeah, he had his tongue out. He was panting a bit by the end of the game. But, gee, he reads the ball well. He's... didn't miss a beat when he had the when he had the lung capacity. Do you know how much a carton of milk was when he last played senior footy? Uh, Thruppence. Yeah, that's right. And, and and Neil Armstrong had just bought his first <laughs> Neil to- who <laughs> Neil Armstrong had just bought his first toy um, sort of space set and given him the <laughs> urge to become an astronaut. Um, and the other uh, important returnee for the Hawks too, Chad Wingard, who uh, kicked a couple, he had fifteen, a- played in the midfield a bit, and is eminently. Sort of dislikable. Now, the reason I say that is because he hasn't done a lot for Hawthorne. Yeah, well, he's been injured. He's, I'm saying, but he, he, he has the angry pills Yeah. the instant he goes out on the field. Well, he's angry that he's been injured. That's fair enough. You know, it, I've never seen a... I've, there's no other player in the competition for when an umpire calls for a ball up to... Ball up! Not a ball up! Well, you're prone to the odd burst of anger yourself. He is. In fact, he was well placed in Tasmania. He reminds me of the cartoon character. Which one? You know, the Taz. Oh, the, the Tassie Devil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think uh, from the sounds of that, we've probably spoken enough about that game. So a pretty efficient win to the Hawks in the end. That was Saturday afternoon and a big game, Saturday Twilight at Marvel Stadium. Those old rivals from the northern suburbs of Melbourne, Essendon and North Melbourne, it got pumped up a lot of that nostalgia stuff during the week, which was good. It was enjoyable. And what a cracker of a game this was. And what a finish. Uh, Essendon getting up by five points. 12 goals, 14, 86 to the Roos, 12, 9, 81. A goal in the final minute by none other than Anthony McDonald, Tip and Wooty, who we'll be talking about in some detail a little bit later on. Four goals to uh, Tipper. Or Waller, or Mac Tip, as you call him, finally. Three goals to Stringer. Two to Mitch Brown, who I predicted would play an important role, and I thought he did. Speaking of Browns, not as important a role as the other Brown, Ben Brown, who was terrific for the Roos with six goals. Three goals to Cameron Zerha. Uh, cracker of a game. I'm going to go out on a Bobby, or Bobby and Dawn. Lim. Yeah. Yeah. Best game of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, this was a ripping game of football. It was. A lot to play for. I, I really felt that the winner of this game was going to... They were playing for a spot in the eight. Mm. And didn't it live up to the billing? First of all, Ben Brown was a great target up one end. Up the other end, McKernan and your man, Mitch Brown, working hard aerially. Young play... Look, Mac Tip... Well, I'll speak more about him. I'll call him Mac Tip. In hots and knots. But... Oh, boy, is he great to watch. But Cameron Zerha. Now, mm. look, he's eligible for the rising star, and I guess probably most people have it in the possession of Sam Walsh. But Zerha, was, he's, he knows where the goals are. He's strong. He can deliver a ferocious bump. In the ruck, Essendon just had to hang on, didn't they? Because mm. they didn't really have a ruckman. But the much maligned, 
the Mugs maligned. What did you make of Zach Clark? Well, terrific. I, I there thought, you go. I, I thought in terms of strategic importance, almost the two best performances for Essendon came from Zach Clark in the ruck against Goldstein. So uh, he had 12 disposals, 6 marks, 35 hitouts. I'd love to know how many of those disposals were in the centre square because he did follow up some ruck work with some very important clearance work. Yeah. Well, Essendon, which I'd never seen him do before. Essendon, Essendon have gone all right in the clearances this year, actually. Obviously, he hasn't had a big part can, to can do I with that. Can I nominate the next important player? You will, but after I okay. give you Goldie's stats. So Goldie had more more of it around the ground, but Clark actually beat Goldstein for hit out. So no mean feat. It was a terrific performance from a guy who has, in a very short space of time, become Essendon fans' favourite whipping boy. It was a, and, and particularly given he was basically smashed last week by Alir Alir. Um, it did have a good last quarter, though, and I just wonder if that momentum sort of rolled into this week. And yes, you can guess the other one. Well, for me, I'm not a religious person, mm. but take me to the parish because I am oh. a convert. Uh, I wasn't going to name him, but yes, he, he was a, a complete four-quarter player. I thought he was terrific. When, no, North, when North were rolling, mm. parish a couple of times was able to turn it the other way. He has arrived. Oh, it's an absolute breakout season for him. And, and it's the first season where he's been played consistently as a midfielder. Surprise, surprise. So, you know, he's he's been terrific. And, yeah, couldn't agree more. But the other guy I was going to mention was Zach Clark's namesake, Dylan Clark. He's a guy... Oh, Sir Rupert, I thought you were. Well, he's a guy who's played half a dozen games of footy. Uh he played one last season. Second game of league footy, first game this year, he shuts down Patrick Cripps. Hmm. Second game this year, he shuts down Jay Gray Mira. He did a job on, and wasn't as successful, but uh, spent time on Cornelio and Kelly in the game against GWS. This week, he comes out against Ben Cunnington, arguably the informed midfielder of the competition, held Cunnington to uh, 15 possessions, cut down his contested ball, cut down his clearance wins, so Cunnington was ranked number one in the league for contested ball, equal number one, I think, for clearances. He was, and twice as much as the next best North midfielder, he was clearly the guy Essendon had to close down to have a chance, particularly without Dyson Heppel. Dylan Clark, a five-game player, gets the job, and he pulls it off with a plomb. A sensational performance from him, and I think, um, you know, if, if you're playing your first half dozen games of league footy, and you have scalps over the course of four or five weeks, including Cripps, O'Meara, and now Cunnington. You're doing pretty well. And I'm going to be equal equal time air time for North Melbourne. In a game that I thought was the best of the season, when you win by one point, I'm going to be as bullion about many North players and about their performance as well because, you know, it's it's a cigarette paper between the two of them. I don't think we've given enough credit to one of North's recruits this year, Jared Pollock. He mm. he's given them outside run, but I really believe he's added some inside steel to his game as well. He stands up in tackles, he doesn't go to ground, he in a ferocious at times ferocious or frenetic would be a better word. Uh, last quarter I thought was going to be the difference between the two teams. I really thought Jared Pollock had the poise and the run in his legs to win the game for North. And full credit to him as a North Melbourne recruit, I think, playing as good a football as he did in his best football at his first two clubs. Yep, 
Yeah, well, he didn't play much good footy for Brisbane, let's be honest. But, oh, but they saw enough. There must have been something there that made Port desperate to get him. The final twist in the tail of this game was that North was absolutely dominant in terms of general play in that last quarter. They had 10 of the first 11 inside 50s That's of the right. quarter, 17 to 9 for the quarter in total. I mean, Hooker had to stand up, didn't he? Yeah, and Hooker, I don't know if he just ran out of juice, or he, he, he's definitely carrying a back injury. Yep. and. Incidentally, while we're talking injury news, uh, Michael Hurley. Hurley got to have surgery on that shoulder. Yep. So more bad news to the Bombers, and that will really test them again um, in a positional sense. But just watching that last quarter, I thought it's just a matter of time before North, you know, get well, and they did get in front and yeah. goes on with it and wins by a few goals. But they just couldn't sort of sink the final nail. Hasn't that been the theme for Essendon in these wins? What the GWS happened? seemed to have had them. Yeah. Sydney seemed to have climbed on top of them. Yeah. Well, they've come from behind in every last quarter. It was yeah. 19 points against GWS. It was nine points early yes. in the last but quarter. But very similarly, yeah. the good thing is that we know that clubs, when they face a deficit in the last quarter, have to take the game on. And I think Essendon are a better place to do that than anybody else. Connor McKenna, of course, will be heralded for his heroics. It's no surprise that when you've got Saad and McKenna in the team and others, that you can roll the dice better than others. They are the keys to Essendon. I mean, if you had a look at, I did a um, on our podcast, uh, uh, the Essential Listen, the Essendon Footy Club podcast. We did a myself and Megan Husswhite did a, a preview. It played out exactly as we as we predicted. I mean, like, that last play, he took on three players and had a bounce. Three of them. I yeah. mean. How many players after 100 minutes of football could do that? Incidentally, cool work by Laverde, too, but, but when he was. To get the ball to Mac- and, got and the Orazio. Yeah. Look, that piece of play needed to almost be perfect. And if you look in replay, the contributions of those players yeah. were perfect. What, uh, I, I, it was hard not to avoid the flashback of Laverde playing the role of Mark Bourne mm. and uh, Anthony McDonald Tippenworthy playing James Hurd in the 2004 game against no high five, West though. Coast. No, no hugging a yeah. spectator. But it was in exactly the same spot on the ground as well. Uh, no, amazing game, amazing finish. Final note on this. Did you notice the um, on TV the roar when the siren went? Oh, it was it was the volume was up. It was a wonderful game to watch because of the atmosphere. It, it seemed to be the atmosphere was yeah. coming through on on the broadcast. It was great. That was one of the loudest roars I think I've ever heard uh, over the TV um, from uh, Marvel Stadium. Yeah, great game and credit to both sides. It was an absolute rip snorter. All right, that was Saturday Twilight. Let's move on to Saturday evening. All right, let's head to Metricon Stadium and, yep, another smashing for Gold Coast. Becoming pretty abject this tale. 23 goals, 13, 151 Adelaide. 95-point victors over Gold Coast. 8-8, brother. Uh, absolute smashing. Five goals to two in the first term. The, the real damage done in the second quarter when the Crows slammed on seven goals, two to a miserable two behinds and were basically just doing as they liked. A couple of um, uh, moments in that second quarter, and actually I will expand on this uh, a bit later on, so maybe not going to them, but a couple of passages of play which you watch and just make you think, this mob isn't trying. 
you know, they're just, they've clocked off. It was kids stuff, you know, the sort of stuff you'd expect to see in a game of kids football. That was the 12th straight defeat for the Suns. Obviously going to take out the wooden spoon again for the Crows. Good confidence builder for them, I guess, after that um, pretty abject second half in the showdown last week against Port. Uh, Wayne Millerer. Very impressive for the victors. 27 disposals. He had 12 score involvements too, Finey. That's uh, pretty rare territory. So great game for him. Matt Crouch, as prolific as ever midfield. He had 36 disposals. Rory Atkins had 35. Uh, Rory Weird had 30-plus again. Here's an indicator just in statistical terms of how dominant they were. They had 174 more disposals than Gold Coast. Can you believe that? And uncontested possession more than 150 up on the Gold Coast. I don't know where the Suns are going as a team and as a club, but uh, it's pretty dire stuff, Finey. I tipped the Gold Coast. Now, this has been possibly the worst tip ever made by anybody in footy tipping. I'm not saying I was desperate. I just thought... Aren't you going to expand on this later, or, or are you going to issue a, a full-scale yeah, no. apology? Or? No, it's not an apology, and I'll talk about what I think of Gold Coast in Hot or Not, but for Adelaide, what an opportunity for the much maligned Taylor Walker, for players that have not been consistent throughout the season to get an easy kill, and what they do with this win will be up to Adelaide. It seems now... I've team's fortunate enough to play Gold Coast between now and the end of the year, get a bye. And that's not great for football. It's not great for the expansion concept up in the Gold Coast. But what it presents to Adelaide is some percentage and four points that really they, on the back of Port Adelaide showdown last week, didn't appear capable of mustering against any other team. So it really is a lucky break for them, isn't it? Also makes for a, another ripping game next Friday night with Adelaide taking on Essendon in Adelaide, 7th and 8th it gives it, a, it gives it an entire different feel, doesn't it? Because it does. Adelaide come into this game, as I say, with players that were down on confidence and a team that had shot itself in the foot now right back in the right back well obviously they're in the hunt they're in the eight. Where do Gold Coast go from here? I was talking I about, know where they should go. Well I'm ranting about this, don't forget, when you, yeah. uh, we, we, sounds like we both want to have a crack at them, but, I mean, Ben King's played a handful of games, talk, you know, really serious talk about him being blue at home, and they're throwing the kitchen sink at him, desperate to get him to stay, but even when their kids stay, they invariably leave after three or four years anyway, it's like people just are absolutely desperate to get out of the place, there's no... Still no culture around the club, which began in 2011, so this is their ninth season in it. Um, you know, still hardly any support. They still haven't made the finals. They're still playing crap footy. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, we're pretty free and easy talking about, oh, this is as bad as Fitzroy in 1996, but I can't think of a club that's been in as um, terrible a, a spot as this. Um, since then as as these guys are now? It's going to be much discussed, and there's more of Gold Coast to come later in the program. But can I just put up one situation for you that, to me, it's not symptomatic of this club, but it just further adds to the question marks over Gold Coast. They lose a hell, hell of a lot of players have wanted to leave the club. Go-home factor, the fact that Gold Coast as a team has no culture that 
holds players to the club, correct? Mm-hmm. They find it hard to lure players to the club, correct? Yeah. So when the club does attract a player from another team and that player is a an unqualified success, would it surprise you that they delist him? That they tell him to leave? Jared Lyon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't work that one out at all. No. He's... he's Fair to say he's close to best on ground in today's My, game against, well, against Port Adelaide. Well, don't forget, though. What's going on? But they're not the only club that's done it. I mean, Adelaide were happy to let Jared Lyons go too, and he'd played some decent footy for them. Understood. But they had a new burgeoning midfield, and we can see, uh, I can see some of the logic with the two crouches at the club and Sloan. I can understand that opportunities may have been limited for the player. Mm. But a weak team like the Gold Coast, the fact that he moved from Adelaide to the Gold Coast, and he wasn't going back to South Australia. He only went up the road to Brisbane. Mm. Is beyond it beggars belief, mate. No, it's. Um, can you think of a, a club that's been in this bad a position since the demise of Fitzroy? Um, no, I mean, obviously Carlton have gone through some very hard times, but they are an established club and they have solid backing behind them. No, in terms of a position of, except for the reality that they were created by the AFL and they are a construct that the AFL will support and have the money to support way into the future. This team this team skated on thin ice last year. They are currently neck deep in a freezing water. Speaking of which, that's a, a very good segue to our next game. Um, and uh, I can give you first-hand experience of what it's like to be frozen at the footy. And I'm speaking, of course, of Geelong, where it uh, was 6.5 during that game against St Kilda. I know it was cold. You know how I know it was cold? Hang on. I was going to say 6.5, which yeah. I was told felt like 3.5. How I know, could you tell it was cold? In the St Kilda coach's box. In your lounge room. Yeah. Yeah, it was in my lounge room. But in St Kilda's coach's box, they would dress like they were on pissed, which, of course, is the uh, sophisticated way, E-N-P-I-S-T-E, Got it. of saying that they were somewhere up a mountain skiing because they were wearing those big beanies. Yep. And that was inside the coach's box. Yeah, well, I can tell you, down on the boundary line, she was fairly fresh, Finey, and by the end of the game, you know when you, your feet go numb and it sort of feels like you're walking on stumps? That's yeah. what it felt like. And I couldn't handle anything for about five minutes afterwards. Uh, fortunately, the rain... It was pretty rain-free. There was a, a little period of drizzle, but uh, the rain at least held off, so that was one blessing. This was, a, again, a game which... Oh, no, actually, I don't want to do St Kilda an injustice because I thought they battled on pretty hard. Final scores, Geelong 12-12-84, defeating the Saints by 27 points, 8 goals, 9-57. Two goals each to Guthrie, Radagalia and Gary Ablett. Three goals to Josh Bruce, I was about to say Cam Bruce, um, and two goals to Ben Long, singles the rest for the Saints. Early on, Finey, you would have uh, shared the same misgivings as I did. You thought, uh, oh, well, Cats are just going to have an absolute picnic at this game. They came out, got some early goals. But your Saints, I thought, really hung hung, uh, hung around and then turned it around, and uh, they kicked four goals in a row, I think, uh, in the late first and majority of the second quarters and led at half time, which was no main feat. Of course, after that, Geelong's back line really got on top of the St Kilda forward line. Uh, the result was St Kilda were held goalless for nearly an hour, 54 minutes. The architects, well, 
some of the usual suspects, really. Paddy Dangerfield, terrific with 32 disposals, nine clearances, seven tackles. He'd just come to expect it from Paddy. 33 touches to Mitch Duncan, having a terrific season. Uh, for your Saints, Finey, oh, sorry, just want to um, mention Gary Ablett too because he often cops some flack about being a bit too... Uh, not susceptible to injuries, but not necessarily playing on. Resilient. Yeah, resilient. And I thought he he hurt his hip flexor, um, and I was watching him closely, obviously, and he was hobbling around for the bulk of the remainder of that game um, and stationed, well, he's stationed up forward anyway, but even closer to goals as a result. But he bobbed up with two late goals, which basically sealed the result. So well done, to Gazza Ablett. For your boys, three big pluses for me, Finey, and I'd like your comments on them. Rowan Marshall, I know you love him, but he was terrific in the ruck, I thought. Hunter Clark, the last few weeks have been the absolute making of him. You can see why he was a top 10 draft pick. And the much maligned, but I like this guy. I reckon he's he's got some real passion and a bit of grunt about him, Luke Dunstan. Yeah, you've, you've picked out the three correct players. Um, you know, we had a pre-programmed discussion via SMS and you had swayed me to talk about some of the conditions faced by suburban footballers as my rant, but I'm going to go back to my original rant. Uh, even hearing the summary of that game by you, uh, my rant tonight is well worth listening to, believe me. It will be explosive. Um, it's not going to be in rap form, is it? No, it'll be in genuine rant form. And I will be doing my very best not to swear. It is difficult to go down to Geelong to play football. You have no crowd, basically. It's it's considered a fait accompli by many of the commentators. Even I felt that this was a suicide mission for the St Kilda Football Club. But they were better than that. They gave themselves every chance of winning that game by, as you say, in the second quarter, getting on top and really controlling the possession. And it becomes a very difficult place to play in the second half because when you've got 30,000 whinging, you know, Geelong supporters and they are baying at the umpire, they are clearly dominant in the free kick count anyhow. And I can tell you that with 10 minutes ago, 12 minutes ago, there was two goals of difference and Sakilda just kicked a goal, in fact, a couple of goals. And they were starting to get back in the game. Mm. And I felt that this game ended with the first of Gary Ablett's two goals in the last quarter, which was such a pitiful decision based not only on the rules of the game, but what had transpired consistently at the other end of the ground, that it was an unfair ending for a brave team that I think was going to lose anyhow. You're not preempting your rant here, right? Eh? No, but it's, a, it's giving it a bit of a run-up. But... Did you see that free kick to Gary Ablett? It was yeah. a beautiful finish. Mm. Now, uh, it, I'm trying to remember. It was, it was paid dropping the ball against Jack Nunes, who took the ball, was instantly tackled by Gary Ablett, and the ball was knocked out of his hands by Gary Ablett. So on two counts, no prior, and the ball was knocked out of his hands by the other player during the tackle, it wasn't a free kick. This to be compared by the um, glacier-like Zach Tui, who every time he gets the ball, got the ball in his back half, was afforded the luxury of just standing there and being tackled by 15 people. It seemed inconsistent. But more of that later. To me, the man that won the game for Geelong was Paddy Dangerfield because St Kilda found themselves in the ascendancy in that second quarter and at the start of the third quarter had a quite a bit of ball but didn't score. 
and Paddy Dangerfield, just one contested ball, willed himself into the contest, kicked an important goal, a vital goal in that third quarter from set shots, which he's not always brilliant at. And as you pointed out, Mitch Duncan also started to impose himself on the game. And those two goals, the goals by Dangerfield and a brilliant goal by Mitch Duncan. What a goal that was. It involved Ablett. There was a slick handball to Duncan in that passage. But they ran the ball on the outer side. Beautiful finish by Duncan. Put Geelong back in the frame. Very good game by Jack Steele on Kelly. Mm. Much like the game that you described of Dylan Clark denying Cunnington. We know how damaging Kelly has been, but his clearance work was denied by Steele. I thought Marshall was fantastic. And I think that the three players, Duncan, Dangerfield and Tom Stewart, almost to the exception of other Geelong players who were a bit disappointing, won the game for the Cats. All right, they are two games clear on top of the ladder. Uh, very quick question, one word answer. Will they finish on top? Yes. yes. They've got more games than GMHBA. That's more than more, one word. More umpire slanted favourite. One word for uh, that answer. Sure, they know how to winch those bastards. And uh, you want to pay yourself. Uh, one word you, answer you would have for heard me. It. You were on the boundary. Yes. <laughs> well, I wasn't whinging. I was just freezing. Um, all right, that's enough of Saturday's games. Let's move to Sunday. The first of the Sunday games at the MCG and a good win to the Tigers. And are they starting to wind up a bit or what? 13 goals, 16, 94. That is a 27-point win over GWS, nine goals, 13, 67. For the Tigers, three goals to Kane Lambert, who continues, according to the commentators today, to be underrated. I don't know if that's the case, but he's a very good player. Three goals to Tom Lynch, your mate, Fonny, and two goals to Jason Castagna. And for the Giants, three to Jeremy Cameron. Tried pretty hard, 3-4 he kicked today. And three goals to little Bobby Hill, who sounds like a racing car driver, really, and two goals to Toby Green. And uh, Kane Lambert, terrific, best on ground for mine. Basha Hawley, terrific in defence for the Tigers. A big plus for them, though. Now, one of the things with this run of injuries they've had has been the opportunity to bring some younger players in and develop them, and nearly all of them have responded, a couple who were in and got uh, injured subsequently. But... Uh, Mabia Chole continues to look better and better. Um, and I thought today that uh, they really shone on the back of Shy Bolton. He's a bloke who's been around for a while now, uh, was around in their premiership year. I expected him to kick on and sort of plateaued a bit last year, but his last few weeks have been very, very encouraging for the Tigers. He ended up with 29 disposals today and was terrific. Um GWS actually did give it a crack for a while, managed to get back to within nine points, I think, early in that third term. But really, the game was won in that first quarter when the Tigers kicked 4-4, and GWS just looked like they hadn't turned up for 25 minutes, and that cost them the game. Structurally terrible. Uh, They came back, actually, when the rain started, Mm. and what Richmond were doing was they were getting two or three players behind the ball GWS were kicking it in the forward line, and Grimes was marking it all. They just had too many players back there, Richmond, and GWS did not lower their eyes. Now, when the rain came, I guess there was more chaos ball, to quote Dwayne, in the forward line, and that 
gave an opportunity for Bobby Hill. Look, he was good. He's I, I, we I sort of you know mentioned that Bobby Hill might have been not the nickname, but of course his name is Ian Hill. But Bobby Hill came from maybe Hill Street Blues, where there was a Bobby Hill. But also the um, King of the Hill, that TV series, yes. apparently with the cartoon character, the the whiny but enjoyable son is little Bobby Hill. So. I haven't watched it. When do you watch all these shows? Uh, many years ago. In- incidentally, while we're talking about it, and I know we had a text exchange to this effect on Saturday, Veep, you must watch Veep. Oh, yeah, no, no. Funniest I've, show ever. I have not been disappointed in the snippets that I've seen, and I will download, you know, you can download the whole Yeah, I'll do that. Okay, back to this game. When you don't have Kelly and you lose Canilio early, it's a bit of a test. And Whitfield... He was unlucky. He was playing beautiful football, and he goes to pick up the ball, and Go he play. He just got him in the ribs. Yeah, uh, semi legally, we'll say. Very clever, you know. Okay, you. That's what happens when you're open. They were worried it was his shoulder, but it wasn't, which was good. He was therefore stymied, so that had a big effect on them. They, we are now looking at second string ruckman and what how they can impact a game. So you got Ivan Soldo lumbering around the ground. But when Mubble Scholl came on to his midfield role, I thought he was a bit of the difference. He's good. Did you see that beautiful kick he delivered yes, into the to, forward um, line that uh, was marked by... Was it Castagna? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. no, he took the longer option. It was, it was a beautiful, bit, yeah. beautiful way to kick. Yeah. So, for GWS, look, Himmelberg, everybody likes him because he's a real competitor and he worked hard. But in those conditions, I think Himmelberg, Finlayson and Cameron was a bit of overkill for most of the game. For Richmond, they really, the most important element of that game, and more of this later, is the synergy between Rewalt and Lynch. And you know what? Watch this space. It looked very good for something that had been put on hold for the best part of three months. It looked workable. Their first quarter, Richmond... It had two, it smacked of 2017. You could see they'd been souped up. Yep. Uh, Damien Harbour had said to him, We can put those guys away with one good quarter. And they just swarmed all over, swarm football, I reckon is what you yeah. call it. And they were just all over GWS. And it's this sort of, you know, you look at GWS and their numbers for contested ball and all those sort of hard indicators are okay. But there is something that isn't at the level of the very top teams there. I don't know what it is. Well, I've got to say that without Kelly and Canilio on the field, and then when Whitfield went off, mm. they actually looked like a pretty a team, a pretty thin talent-wise. It looked pretty thin through the middle. You know, I'm not going to have a crack at Daniels or um, you know Sam Reed or whatever. But they had a lot of bit part players going around. Let's be honest. I, yeah. You yeah, know what? So- you know what I like that key defender Taylor. Yeah, yeah, he was good. He, he was he's good. going to be good value. But, but there was a point there with, um, you know, the big ex. Vardy, who was in the ruck? Not Vardy. Um, uh, uh, the Dawson Simpson. So you got Dawson Simpson in the ruck. You've got bit part players you know, sort of at his feet. They certainly didn't look like the flash all top 10 draft pick team that we had come to de- despise. So well, I thought their efforts were okay. Best news for Richmond was this was done without particularly great influence of Martin Cockshin, I felt. Correct. Yeah, no, Isn't that on. good news? Uh, well, good news for Richmond. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, scary news for the, the rest. rest of the competition because they are currently fifth. 
they are coming. Of course, someone's got to give way to them for them to get top four, but I'm tipping the Richmond will end up top four and give this flag a very, very serious shake. All right, let's get to Marvel Stadium for the eighth game of Round 17. All right, game eight of Round 17. It was at Marvel Stadium, and it was a very hotly contested tight game between the Western Bulldogs, who uh, had their official celebration of the 30 years since they saved the doggies. How time flies. And that was against Melbourne, and it was a narrow win to the doggies in the finish by only eight points, 10 goals, 14, 74, defeating Melbourne, nine goals, 12, 66, two goals to Dunkley, two to Lloyd, two to Smith, Rourke Smith, that is, not Bailey Smith, and for the Demons, three to Petty had his moments, two to Fritch, um, and... Fritch actually kicked a couple of goals, but uh, costly. What was he doing? At well, the, the eight points down, yeah. he takes a mark 25 metres out. And plays on. And he plays on and has to screw it around the body. Kids today, Finey. That's what Kids I thought. Today, Kids I today. I it agree. was just go back and kick the goal, son. Put your side within two points. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that was pretty much that. In fact, uh, Josh Shackey had a shot after the siren, didn't he, which missed and could have given them a more comfortable margin. But important win for the Doggies. Their winning ways continue. And uh, just another disappointing chapter for the Demons. Although they did, um, they hung in there and showed plenty of pluck. What did you make of the whole thing? Well, I mentioned that going hand in hand with Fife's heroics, there was another game by an individual that stood out as possibly the game of the year. I don't think you're going to statistically do any better than what Josh Dunkley did today. Of course, it was a bit made that he was playing against his brother, who was lining up for the Demons. Well, there was that lovely moment where his brother kicked a goal and over Josh the top was of on his head. Mark. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was one of five possessions for his brother. Yeah, not so, Josh Dunkley. Have you got his stats there? I'm about to call them up. They are unbelievable. Okay, okay. I almost know them off by heart. If you want them, uh, they are. 39 disposals, 24 of which were contested, contested. 15 uncontested, 6 marks, um, 2 contested marks even for Josh Dunkley, 9 clearances, 5 centre clearances, uh, 15 tackles. <laughs> wow. And 2 goals. What a game. Yeah. How does that read? Uh, very, yeah, it reads like 10 out of 10 in the old sun score terms. What a performance, isn't it? You know, Bontempelli had to go off. He turned his ankle. Yep. So it was important that they had another big midfielder stand up. And did he stand up? Yes, he did. It was a good game of football. Melbourne had some dominance in the ruck with Max Gorn. Did you see that bit where Gorn conceded the free kick? And uh, he was talking to the umpire. Um, and he said, uh, it's ruck craft. It's ruck craft, big boy. <laughs> Not as good as the umpire exchange at GMHBA last night. Well, what was that? With Zach Tui and the umpire. Oh, well, I didn't the umpire was explaining there, so. something to Zach Tui and he spat in his eye. Oh, that's right. I did say that, yeah. <laughs> Quite right too, I felt. Yeah. Um, but for Bulldogs, you know, the difference was almost Josh Shackey. He really put in a, a line, a big shift. Was good as a second ruckman. Mm. Gave some, something to kick up to up front. Uh, Harrison Petty, only his second game of football. Likewise, he's a defender normally in the VFL. Gave them a bit of a target. Both of these teams screaming out for more firepower, more scoring ability. But uh, 
the Bulldogs held sway for most of the afternoon. Oh, no. Look, the Demons got in front. They had their moments. But in the end, the Bulldogs' numbers through the midfield, led by Dunkley, won them this game and gives their slim hopes of finals football another week to play out. Yeah, well, they're, they're probably better than slim. I mean, they're a game out. Uh, percentage is going to cost them. Their percentage is 94.8. That's really two games out there. Yeah, and they have got a tough run. I remember when there were seven, uh, I think they had played five of the top eight in their last seven games, so that was going to make it difficult. But the way they're playing, they'll be competitive against virtually anyone. What about Melbourne? You know, a preliminary finalist from last year, and yeah, they're... <laughs> It gives an idea how far they've fallen in a pretty short space of time that we're saying, oh, yeah, it's pretty reasonable effort by the Demons. Uh, They're yeah. third last on the ladder, and they've won five games out of 16, and they were a, ga- a win away from a grand final last year. They need to find somebody else up front. But beyond that, I think there is some future, there is some light at the end of the tunnel for them. Given a full preseason, Stephen May is an influential footballer, and I think could be a big player for them next season. Not impossible if they don't lure a key forward to the club that he could play up front with Lever down back. Look, look, they lost McDonald just as McDonald hit form. Mm. So they had really no one to kick to up front. I, I, I know it's been a bad year for them, but they will put this behind them and still come into next season with some optimism. Yeah, no, fair, fair summary. Um... Yeah, I reckon you might be a little bit too kind to them, but uh, it's a, been a massive Oh, it's been a very off. disappointing year. I'm not denying that. Mm. But I think they've got enough cattle on their list to put it behind them and not have to make too many sweeping changes to have another tilt next year. All right, that was the eighth game of Round 17 and the final game and a uh, pretty important game too, given two sides in the top eight. It was at Adelaide Oval. It was between Port and Brisbane. Let's have a chat about it. And a big weekend of footy finished up at Adelaide Oval. And yes, indeed, another terrific triumph for the Brisbane Lions. Smashing the wildly inconsistent Port Adelaide 14-13-97, which is an eight-goal victory over the power 6-13-49. Four goals to Charlie Cameron. Three goals to Zorko. Two goals to Lincoln McCarthy, singles the rest for the power. Sam Gray, two, the only multiple goal kicker. And finally, this was another game, and there are a few of them this weekend, effectively won in the first quarter, smashing seven-goal opening term to Brisbane. They were just so dominant early on. They had the first seven inside 50s of the game. Um, they were up by 42 points. It was one behind to seven straight, still with eight minutes to play in that first quarter. And they just, they were so efficient. Funny thing was, the stats uh, at half time were relatively even, but Brisbane were just so much more efficient going forward. And this is how it was played out. The goals, McCarthy, Cameron, McCarthy again, Witherden. At that stage, three of those four goals came from uh, turnovers they'd forced from Port with terrific pressure at the ball. And then another burst, Lyons, Zorko, Robinson. And Robinson, that goal, he worked from the kick-in all the way up the ground to mark the ball about 15 metres out. Four of those first seven goals coming from forced turnovers. And uh, Brisbane, 43 points up, 
early in the second term after another two goals. And then it was basically just a holding mission for the rest of the game. Port Adelaide have now gone nine games in a row going loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. Um, And uh, there's a certain predictability in their unpredictability, but horribly disappointing day for them. Fantastic effort for the Lions, who with that victory have now moved into third spot on the ladder. They are ahead of West Coast. They are 114.8%, West Coast 113.3%. Brisbane Lions, third on the ladder, 11 wins, five losses. What a season they're having. I have little to add. I'm disappointed in myself that I tipped Port Adelaide because it showed a disrespect to Brisbane, who, as I said, I believed it was maybe the loss to Carlton had caused some introspection. But it was certainly the game against St Kilda where St Kilda, when you watch them each week, you know who's good and who's not good. And I really felt that Brisbane were the best team St Kilda's played this year. They were brilliant, and they've maintained that form thereafter. Uh, Port Adelaide are not Port Power for me. They are the daisy pluckers. What does that mean? You know, you used to take a daisy. I love them. I love them not. Oh, yeah. I love them. I love them not. Yeah. They really, not only do they win and lose each week in, in good turn, but the wins and losses are clear cut and almost definitive. How they can go from a definitively good win, it's not like they're losing nail biters. They get pants when they get beaten. Mm. You really hate them. And when they win, you love them. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned Corey Lyons before. Could he get a game for Gold Coast on that form? I thought he was close to best on ground. Jared and, Lyons. And Jared Lyons. And his brothers, Corey. And Mitch Robinson. It's over a decade since Carlton took a punt on the kid with ADHD from Tassie. And... It feels as though Carlton almost felt he was too much trouble to keep on the list. Yeah, well, not he's his not foot- the only one they did that with. Well, not his football. There must have been other elements because he was a decent, hard-added footballer. Is he now not playing the best football of his career? Oh, he's been sensational. Well, well he, won yeah. a be- he was joint best and fairest in his first season yeah. at Brisbane. Uh, I say this about Brisbane. Whatever you achieve this year, you deserve. Yeah. Because you are the one team that is not um, stymied by a coaching panel that when you come in at quarter time with seven goals on the board, tell you off. I, I love the the way they continue to take the game on as it should be played. You've got to love them. Chris Fagan's got to be coach of the year. Yeah. And uh, a couple of quick questions. Uh, Port Adelaide are now a game outside the eight. They do, however, have uh, about a 7% break on Essendon who are in eighth spot. Will Port Adelaide make the final eight? Maybe yes, maybe no. Now, that seems like a terrible answer, but perfect for a team that has two distinct personalities like Port Adelaide. I'll say no. Uh, Yeah, I'm holding call on that one, and I've actually forgotten what the second question was, so it can't be that important. You bet it's not. Let's get to hot or not. All right, we'll do that just now. On Footyology, hot or not. Hot or not, you know how it works. I'm kicking us off. I've got a hot to start with. Pies on the road. They are the best team on the road in the competition, finally. Why do I say that? Well, they've done this for a long time now, as long as I can remember. Certainly the bulk of Mick Malthouse's tenure, so as good as 20-odd years now. But they are currently, well, in the, you know, the sort of more recent times, they are 9 out of 12 on their road trips currently. And they have a habit of going on a road trip uh, when they're in a bit of strife and it seems to band them together 
and uh, fantastic spirit among that playing group every time they get on a plane, and they did it again. Darcy Moore lost early in the piece, uh, West Coast leading for the bulk of it. Um, they held the Eagles scoreless for 45 minutes. Uh, they'd come off, uh, come into this game having lost three out of five. They were 16 points down at three-quarter time uh, and just found a bit more goals to Majacek, uh, to Goey in the first part of that last quarter. And I don't know about you, but I, I felt, you know, once they got that lead uh, in that last five minutes, I just thought they were going to hang on because I just it had that sort of preordained look about it. This is another one of those incredibly plucky, season-defining Collingwood wins. What better way to get your season back on track than a win over West Coast in Perth? That they've done. Uh, you'd think this will probably be the um, thing to turn their shoddy recent form around and fantastic performance from all concerned. Nonetheless, coach Nathan Buckley, who pulled some pretty important moves, which we spoke about during the review, but definitely worth a hot. Which brings up this amazing conundrum, remembering they lost the grand final to West Coast at the G and then lost earlier this year. There's a real chance these two teams will finish second and third, yes? Yes. Who knows where you want to finish, second or third? Why do you reckon Collingwood might prefer to play West Coast in Perth? I don't know. West Coast seem to love playing at the MCG. All right. It's interesting. My first hot is Jack Rewalt and Tom Lynch. Look, they had played some football together at the start of the year, but that was quickly put on ice because of injuries to Jack. And not the four goals that they scored between them, but the understanding of who's further up the field, who makes space down the ground, seemed to work pretty well first time up against GWS. I think for a now rehearsal or, or working towards being a great combination in the finals, this was a brilliant first step. So that's a hot or not to keep an eye on. All right, very good. I've got, uh, I'm being a bit negative this week, I've got two knots to finish off. My first, and we did just speak about it before, but it has to be Port Adelaide. They are the eternal tease of the competition. And um, you made a comment to this effect, and you're spot on, that when they play good footy, they are intoxicating. They are like the, um, you know, overly made up, uh, you know, well-endowed uh, temptress at the bar who, um, after you've had a, a couple too many drinks, leads you astray, Finey. Well, they they do have great measurements in terms of when it works, <laughs> they've got a midfield, they've got a... F- it, it's got all the components of a top team, doesn't the it? 42, 36, 38. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I forgot what the perfect measurements are. Only if you're far for three... Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but when they are bad, they are horrid. And uh, they've done this two weeks out of the last three now at home. And their record at home, I mean, you've got to be banking the wins at home. And uh, they have only won five out of nine at home this season. And it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them big time. Port Adelaide, not hot. The girl with the curl. My second in this series of three, is Gold Coast and not hot. Gold Coast, we talk about coaching futures, what clubs will be looking to replace their coaches. Well, Stuart Dew should be looking to replace his club. I do not hold him responsible at all. What I do hold responsible is an ill-conceived rushing of a team on the Gold Coast. They wanted these two new teams up to... Obviously, in one part on the Gold Coast, match the um, expansion of the A-League, thereabouts. And 
I don't think it was well enough thought through because this this is a club with no. Um, what happens when planets? It's the it's the it's the magnetic pull of planets that has moons around them, the orbit. orbit? Yeah, their orbit and their. When a planet spins, the moons are actually drawn to them. Well, this planet Gold Coast has no gravitational pull whatsoever. There is nothing that sticks to them. Their players want to leave. It, it looks like everybody that is there is there under sufferance. And it is now playing out with two inept performances, games that are decided five minutes in. It's horrible. And only an idiot, an absolute living, breathing moron would have tipped them at the moment. All right. I tipped them. I can't believe it. Okay, that was almost a rant. Uh, all right, my final one, another not. And it goes to the advantage rule, which shouldn't be a shambles, but it is a shambles. And this was called out uh, very articulately by Shane Hope in his Hit and Hope column on Footyology, which is up there, footyology.com.au, if you want to have a read. But I saw another couple of examples of it this weekend. So I endorse his remarks thoroughly. Too many late calls of advantage given by the umpires, the result being that uh, you've got a whole lot of players standing around whilst the player who has been given the benefit of the advantage call has almost a double advantage in that everyone else is stationary while he's on the move. Shouldn't happen. Too many late calls and too many instances of the umpires giving the player given the advantage a second bite at the cherry if they take the advantage, and particularly if it's a shot at goal or whatever. How on earth is that happening? I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? We had this debate a few years ago and they um, established the rule that the player decided whether to take the advantage. And if he did it did take the advantage, tough cheese if it doesn't come off. So you either got to go back to hard and fast interpretation of that. Once the advantage is paid, it doesn't matter what happens subsequently. You don't get a second bite of a cherry or you do away with advantage altogether. And the way um, it's being policed at the moment, I like the principle of advantage, but to be honest, the way it's being um officiated right now, I tend to think they'd be better scrapping advantage altogether. It's the only way to make it fair to everyone. So, and not hot. The problem is that advantage in other sports, in soccer, is given by the referee when he sees the advantage. Yeah, well, they you can delay blowing the whistle for a couple of seconds to see how it pans out. If the umpire does it, you don't blow the whistle. Mm. The biggest problem is, and I'm sad to say, that it feels as though the AFL coaching panel and those charged with the responsibility of instructing umpires have not continued to reinforce the basics of this rule to new umpires? Well, it appears it seems so. Under, it seems to have gone back to a situation of confusion because of a lack of good coaching of the umpires. That's how I read it. All right, you're last. I finished with a hot, and I'm glad that I'm doing it, not you, because I was a little bit tough on you a couple of weeks ago about always including Essendon. That's why I didn't and do it. You must have been absolutely... Champing at the bit to want to include Mac Tip. I did. God, he was good, MacDonald Tip and Witty, in a spectacular match-winning goal that came on the back of other spectacular efforts. It's great that the AFL still have players that when they get the ball, fans of that team come out of their seat in expectation and opposition fans grip the armrests of their seats in fear. <laughs> and when Mac Tip is rolling, if you love him and you're buried for the Dons, yes! And if you're against them, 
you cover your eyes, and they are the best players in the comp. What about if you're neutral? You love him. You love him. You yeah. love him. I love him. I love him to bits. Very good call, Finey. And yes, I was champing at the bit to do that, but uh, I knew that uh, you would probably do so as well. All right, that's hot or not. Uh, time to fire up, Finey. Are you feeling suitably fired up? This will be my best. I hope so. I'm fired up as well. Let's do it. On Footyology, the rant of. All right, Finey, I'm ready to go. Whose turn is it to go first? I believe you're going to open the batting. Am I? Yes. Okay, so have I won the toss and batted, or did you win the toss and semi? You are New Zealand, you've won the toss and batted. Okay, and New Zealand, uh, for those listening, just after we've recorded this, did win the toss in the World Cup final and have elected to bat. Go Kiwis. We're all, we're all Kiwis for the next six hours or so. Makes me sick, but yes. <laughs> okay, all right, count me in. Guptil Williamson Nisham. I'm pissed off with the expansion teams, Finey. Gold Coast and GWS have been hanging around the AFL for nearly a decade now, peddling the same old stories, and both of them are boring the crap out of me. Is that a bit harsh on the Giants? They did make two preliminary finals in a row. Well, no, it's not, because this was a side that was supposedly going to dominate the competition for years to come after they nearly got into a grand final three years ago. It's eight years now, but that ain't going to be happening anytime soon. Once again, it's all talk, not enough action. It was tough going at the MCG on Sunday, conditions that needed some genuine cracking in. So what happened? They clocked off the moment they lost Stephen Cornelio injured, went five goals down, and that pretty much was that. Oh sure, they briefly got back within a couple of kicks, but Richmond just flexed their muscles again, and it was all over. Yeah, so they've got some injuries. But what about the side they were playing? The Tigers have been so short on personnel at times this season, they've had to kit out the boot stutter, but they've managed to struggle through it. The Giants have now lost four of their last five games. You can forget about flags. You can forget about the top four. The way they're going, you might even be able to forget about the top eight altogether. Enough of the hard luck stories, guys. Maybe you're simply not good enough. As for Gold Coast, well, at what point does the AFL find some knackers, euthanise this sad excuse for a footy club, and do what it should have done in the first place and set one up in a place which actually gives a toss about Australian football? Mind you, the 8,700 who did turn up at Metricon on Saturday night deserve a medal. A 95-point loss, 92 points last week, 12 losses in a row now. Who'd want to go and see that? Saturday night was pathetic. Rory Sloan gets a 50-metre penalty, and the Suns don't even bother picking up Sloan's Adelaide teammate standing on his own in the goal square. He just casually pops a handball over the top. Bob's your uncle. Then Eddie Betts marks on the goal line, and Jesse Joyce is too busy talking to an umpire to notice Eddie just casually walked behind him and tapped through a goal from point-blank range. No wonder every time a senior player ups and leaves the Suns, their first interview afterwards sounds like they've just broken out of Alcatraz. You'd need bloody prison walls to make anyone stay in that hellhole. Forget priority draft picks. This is a club which needs priority fan picks. And most of all, priority, could somebody please give a rat's toss bag about the Suns picks? And while you're at your latest bailout, AFL, do Gold Coast their biggest favour and give them home and away jumpers that don't look like boxes of bloody washing powder. I I concur, I concur. You are right. Maybe a bit tough on the Giants, but no, maybe not, because they were given more concessions than oh, Gold Coast. super team. Remember, I remember after they nearly got in that grand final, there were people coming out and saying, they're going to win the next six flags in a row. I mean, the, what happened was that 
engineered by the previous administration, Mike Fitzpatrick taking a particular interest in especially GWS. And it seems with his retirement and Dimitriou moving on that these two teams have been allowed to survive on their own, you know, on their own wits more than the previous administration. And both of them have shown an inability to do so. One thing you've got to admit about the Gold Coast. For any of their fans, which are about 30 of them, that missed 2018, at least they've had the decency to offer a carbon copy in 2019. Yeah, that's exactly what it's been. A bloody miserable carbon copy. All right, are you ready? I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. You people don't know Mark Fine. Really, you don't. You don't even know me, Rowan. I mean, you know me for 15 years as a broadcaster on 1116 SEN and doing work in AFL media at the fringes before that. And, of course, there has been a period for five or six years where I was, in fact, a a central field umpire in the amateurs. So what you've got has been a watered-down version of the real Mark Vine. And I thought tonight I would bring him back to life. The insane, asparagus vein throbbing football supporter who would be so incensed after a game of football, regardless of whether I had a right to be incensed by umpiring or the bounce of the ball, that to most people, I should be rushed to hospital with symptoms of a stroke. Well, do you want to meet that person? Because here he is. Because he watched the game against Geelong on Saturday night, where my beautiful saints were sent down to Skilled or GMHBA or whatever bloody they call that rat hole at Cadinia Park, as a snowball's chance in hell, well, given the temperature, snowball's chance at Mawson in the Antarctic. Nobody gave the Saints a chance, except the team themselves. But, of course, in the end, 30,000 whinging country bumpkins, that's right, they are no more than a pack of complaining country bumpkins, were able to convince three lily-livered umpires to turn the game in Geelong's favour. Pathetic, gutless umpiring, double standards. You know, at one point, Tom Atkins, I think, had the ball for Geelong, and he was spun around, 367, 20, about 900 degrees. I haven't seen a ball spin around like that since I've been to the casino with my eyes glued on the roulette wheel. Play bloody on. Zach Toohey is either too incompetent, too old, or doesn't have the will to get rid of the ball in the back line, but he's allowed to hang on to it. Not the same up the other end. Not when little Gary's involved. Ah, Gary, Gary, Gary! These wingy, bloody Geelong supporters, fair income. They are the sort of farmers that complain about the drought during a deluge. Finally got between the ears of the umpires and cost the Saints the bloody victory. I'll tell you what, if I was down there, I would have made myself heard. I've been arrested at Geelong. Well, kicked out of the ground by the police anyhow. Those days would have been certainly reprised. As it happens, I was at home. Swearing so loudly that our new puppy, Little Willow, woke up and started barking. And that brought me back into a sense of reality. Mark, you're 54 years old. It's time you grew up. <laughs> I like the, uh, the, the admission at the end there. How much would they have lost by had those incidents of which you spoke? No, same what happened? Same. Yeah, right. Okay. So it didn't matter really, did no. it? Okay. But I'm irrational. I, there wasn't. Becoming an umpire responsibilities in the media taught me to be more rational, but I was completely... I swear, during the 80s, now St Kilda were abismal. Six spoons? How many spoons? Uh, 
four in a row? Yeah, maybe six for the... Deco? I really... I honestly believe the only thing that separated us from Essendon and Hawthorne in that yeah. decade were the umpires. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Yeah, I was mental. Uh, with a very cathartic rant, I hope for yeah, you. A little bit. You, you look, you look a little a better for it. Uh, more stress free. Yeah. Tom Atkins did spin around a lot with that ball. It was a seven twenty, wasn't it? Yeah, I do love Tom Atkins though. He he looked like Paul mm. Sarah when he played for Geelong. That yeah. Mo's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. I used to work with his dad, Mick. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, we're just about done. Oh, competition. Let's remind people, of course, what, uh, what's we're after this week. The, we're after just famous sponsors, those iconic, and we go back a bit probably, those mm. iconic, think of North Melbourne. Gee, they had some. North have courage. I loved it. Yeah. And, and just your favourite sponsorship relation between club and sponsor, from the famous, or as they say in Young Frankenstein, from the famous to the infamous. Send your entries into info at footyology.com.au and uh, for your trouble, we will select the best few entries and we'll read them out. But the winner will get an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt, your size, and Hamburgers, Hamburgers, Andrews Hamburgers cap, your size. I think one size fits all, actually. And incidentally, saw a tweet from uh, Jared Zockling, our initial competition winner, Perched on his porch with a tinny. I think he's up in Darwin, isn't he, or the Northern Territory? He, Darwin would have been easy. He's in Nullanby, which is a remote part of the Northern Territory. Well, he was kicking back on the porch with a cold one and uh, his prize on, and he looked very happy with his spoil. So check that out on Twitter if you want to look. But uh, please get in and uh, join the competition. You will win those two items, plus a magnificent Argon Gym towel valued at $35, magnificently packaged, 100% organic cotton. I've tried one myself and they are soft on your skin. I like the idea of organic. Yes. I, saw, I saw a thing today on TV about these guys who are making surfboards out of mushrooms. <laughs> it's brilliant. It is brilliant. You jest. I swear. Because the current surfboards, uh, they don't break down. They really are bad for the environment. Okay. I would suggest that they're actually on mushrooms and uh, this was all some hallucination. Apparently, all the best surfers in the world are going to have mushroom boards within five years. Of course. Of course. It's obvious. Dude. All right. uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope your team had a win this weekend. As I said, please enter our competition. Um, Any feedback also, feel free to send it in. Info at footyology.com.au. Yes, Mark? Now, I know you're choosing the song, but did you get a sense of how much I actually love Anthony McDonald? I did. I did. We, I, think, I actually loved <laughs> God, he was exciting. He's, uh, I first clapped eyes on him in the VFL in 2015. And, uh, oh, man, yeah, he is a joy to watch. That was uh, one of the season's great moments. Uh, sorry, North supporters, but it was. And, of course, um, you may have missed this, but there has been a impending hit single released simply called Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody. It is by a... Uh, I guess you could call them punk band. They are a Melbourne punk outfit. They're pretty raucous. Uh, Picket Palace is the name of the band. So well done, guys. It's certainly struck a chord, pardon the pun, with people. And uh, we leave you tonight in honour of one of the great moments of season 2019 with Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. We'll see you on Thursday.